Well, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 9. If you guys will turn there. Uh, my wife and I have been on the road on deputation uh, for about 10 months, 10, 11 months. We haven't been back uh, to California where we're from uh, since January and we're going to be heading there. We're, uh, tomorrow morning we're starting to head back to California. We have a meeting in North, Northern California. Uh, Wednesday night, so we're going to have fun driving there uh, over the next three days. It'll be an exciting adventure. Matthew chapter 9 is where we are going to be uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 9, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, we stopped in a few months ago and uh, really enjoyed uh, being here, really enjoyed the service. And of course, uh, I went to Bible college. My wife and I went to Bible college uh, with uh, Pastor's sons, uh, both. And, um, and so we, we got to know them and a friend Trayvon in the back. Uh, so it's been a, been a blessing to come and see friends that, uh, that we knew uh, from Bible college. And so it's always a blessing to, to, um, to see old friends. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read one verse this morning, um, and then uh, we'll kind of explain. We'll talk about a few other verses in the passage. But this morning, I'm going to start off with just one verse, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse number 37. If you guys can stand for uh, the reading of the Word of God, you won't be standing too long. We'll just read one verse. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 37. Or verse number 36. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And then verse number 37. Then saith he, this is Jesus speaking, unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Thank you. You may be seated and let's have a word of prayer. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to... Uh, to be in your, your house this morning, to open up your word, to fellowship with other Christians. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being with this church. I pray that you will uh, speak through me uh, from your word, and I pray that you will uh, do through me what I can't do in my flesh. I pray that you will have uh, your way and your will. I pray that there's anyone here uh, listening that does not know for sure that they're going to heaven. I pray that they will understand the gospel and understand the fact that uh, going to heaven is a free gift that Jesus Christ completely paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago, and I pray that they'll receive that free gift of eternal life. I pray that you minister at every heart uh, here uh, during this time. I pray that you help us to uh, grow in our love for you as a result of our time together. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Raise your hand if you've heard of the term first world problems. First world problem. It's a, it's a term basically, thank you, one person, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's a term basically describing the problems quote-unquote, uh, that we suffer with, that we kind of struggle with in, in countries like America. And so it just refers to things that, uh, that we sometimes complain about or sometimes we make a big deal about uh, when in reality aren't really uh, that much uh, of a big deal. Some of the examples of this would be, uh, number one, uh, my shampoo and conditioner never run out at the same time. And sometimes, you know, that's just something that we just have to struggle with. It's something that we just have to suffer with and it's something that we just got to deal with. You know, sometimes we've got to buy our shampoo and our conditioner at a different time. That's something I struggle with uh, all the time. Number two, uh, there's too much ice in my iced coffee. If you can relate to that, put your hand up. Okay, I can relate to that. So, amen. Sometimes we go to Starbucks and, and it just gets watered down too quickly. Sometimes we struggle with the problem that my wallet won't close because there's too much money in it. 
I hate when that happens. Number four, my house is so big that my Wi-Fi signal isn't that great in some of the rooms. Uh, number uh, five, my Tesla doesn't have a big enough battery to get me from one uh, from my regular house to my vacation home. Uh, number, I don't know what number I'm on. I can't move, uh, I, I can't fast forward through the commercials because I'm watching live TV. Uh, and the last one, I think we can all relate to this one. I have too many chips for my dip, but if I open another dip, I'll have too much dip for my chips. Raise your hand if you can relate to that one. I hate when that, my wife, thank you very much. I hate when that happens. It's a, it's a struggle. It is a uh, very hard aspect of being an American. I know, but I, and obviously I, I make light of these things and we definitely have problems. We definitely have struggles. We have issues no matter where you're from, no matter what's going on. I'm sure there are, are plenty of trials going on that are represented in this room. And I've, I've heard that there's some, some, some trials that this church has, has been going through just in the last uh, few days with, with health situations and, and things of that nature. Uh, but in reality, a lot of the problems that sometimes we, we focus on are really in the grand scheme of eternity, not that big of a deal. But there is a problem in this passage that I believe is worth recognizing, is worth doing something about. And I believe that in this passage we find the greatest problem in all the world. The greatest problem in all uh, of the world. And I believe that the problem, the greatest problem in all the world is the fact that there are countless multitudes all over the world that have not received the gospel yet. I think of Nigeria. I think of a country with over 200 million people, very few people preaching the gospel. I think of, uh, I, I met with a, a missionary just a few days ago. They're here in the States for uh, for a short period of time trying to get back to Nigeria uh, with, the, with the, the COVID thing. They are missionaries in Nigeria and they run a, uh, an orphanage there. And they were telling me some of the stories of some of the kids that are in their orphanage. And, and there uh, is a, a teenager now. They, they picked him up and put him in the orphanage uh, several years ago, I think, when he was a child. But, but they were telling some of his story. And he uh, was attacked by Boko Haram. Boko Haram is basically Africa's version of ISIS. And they're centered in northern, northern Nigeria. Northern Nigeria is a very dangerous place to be a Christian. And he was, uh, his village was attacked by Boko Haram. And, and he has seen a fam both of his parents were killed. He's seen a family member burned alive. He's seen a uh, head chopped off with a machete. He's seen some of that stuff and, and he was rescued and he was able to be brought to this orphanage where he can uh, receive, uh, the, where he can hear the gospel, where he can grow up in a loving situation. And he asked me, why are you going to Nigeria? Why did you leave Berkeley? Why did you leave the things that you were planning on doing? And why are you going to live in a country where you can't call 911 and where you can't go out at night, where the electricity is on only about 30% of the day? Why are you going to a country like that? That boy, that child who now is a saved teenager uh, trying to live for the Lord, that is exactly why I'm going to Nigeria. And that is exactly why that's the greatest problem in all the world. And we've got problems in America, definitely, but no doubt. But man, there are problems in, the other, uh, in other parts of the world. There are people with no hope. There are people with, with no love. There are people with, uh, the, whose parents are killed. There are people with uh, all of this deception all around them. Oh, there are plenty of churches but there's no gospel being preached. They, they hear about all these, these promises that these preachers are making. And there's, uh, there's a pastor uh, in, in Nigeria. He's the second wealthiest pastor in all the world. His, his ministry uh, has two private jets. He's worth $150 million. There are plenty of preachers in Nigeria, but they're capitalizing on people's money. They're getting rich off of people who live in third world countries. 
Well, if, you're, if you haven't become wealthy, if you haven't become prosperous, if you uh, haven't uh, succeeded in life, then it must mean you're not giving enough. You need to keep on coming. You need to give, give even more. Well, uh, your arm is still broken. You still have that deformity. Well, you don't have enough faith. You need to come more. You need to give more. And that's what religion is. That's the, the version of Christianity that we have uh, in Nigeria. We think of Nigeria. A lot of th people think that, oh, the southern half of Nigeria is a Christian country. Uh, it is not, my friends. It is a place where there's plenty of preachers, plenty of churches, if you will, plenty of auditoriums. It's auditorium that will see 120,000 people, but 120,000 people will come every Sunday and not one of them will hear the gospel. We've got problems in this world. And the problem is the fact that, man, the harvest is plenteous. There are plenty of people. There's plenty of fruit uh, to be picked there. Uh, this verse, it's an interesting uh, verse. If you look at it, it's kind of split into two parts. Uh, and it, Jesus kind of uses a rhetorical device. He, he uses the contrast between the first clause, and the, uh, the first phrase and the second phrase. The first phrase is talking about something that is, is greatly positive. It's this awesome thing. He's saying, man, the harvest is truly, it truly is plenty. It's the harvest is a positive thing. If you think about harvest, harvest is the time where you uh, bring in the crops. It's always a, a positive thing. And he's saying this harvest, this positive thing is overwhelmingly large. There's an awesome thing. This, the harvest truly is plenty. There are plenty of people. I think of Nigeria, 200 million people ready to be saved. And many people in Nigeria are open. They're hungry for the gospel. We can go there and we can see people saved on a regular basis. They're hungry if they only have someone to share the truth with them. But then the second part of the verse, the second part of his sentence, that second phrase talks about something that is overwhelmingly negative. He contrasts something that is overwhelmingly positive. There are plenty of people ready to receive the wonderful free gift of eternal life. But the problem is there's no one there telling them about the gospel. There aren't enough people willing to go and, and go to the mission field and go to Nigeria and go to Thailand and go to your, your neighbor down the street and go to uh, your coworker and go to uh, maybe China. There aren't enough people willing to go and think, oh man, I don't want to live in a place where, uh, where, uh, there's, where the electricity is turned off. I don't want to go to a place where it's not going to be as safe. I don't want to give to help uh, that other person uh, get to the mission field because I've got other things to worry about. And uh, there aren't enough people contributing to the greatest problem in all the world, which is the need for the gospel to get to those lost multitudes that have never had it. We think of John 3, 16. I'm sure probably everyone in this room has that verse memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his the only, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm not even remembering the verse, uh, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an awesome verse. And we think most Americans know that verse, or at least a good percentage of people know that verse. And uh, we kind of take it for granted because there are people in countries who have never heard that verse. We can even look at countries that are Christian countries. And they may see religion. They may see churches. They may see preachers preaching, using the pulpit, using the Bible for their own advantage. But, man, there are so few people actually preaching the free gift of eternal life. They're capitalizing on people for their own gain and for their own profit. We've got a problem in the world. That is the fact that, man, there is a huge harvest. There are very few laborers. And may I put it this way, there are very few people helping the laborers that have been called to go to get there. Not, God is, does not want every single person to move to Africa, and I'm definitely not saying that. But sometimes we've got people trying to get there, and it's, it's hard 
to get there. And we've got this calling, man, I'm, I want to go to Africa and I want to uh, see people saved. I want to start churches. I want to start a children's home and, and I want to do all this. But man, it's taken me so long to get there. And I don't know what, uh, what aspect of missions that, man, God would have you to be a part of, whether it be going, whether it be giving, whether it be praying, whether it be encouraging. But man, if there's anything I want to be involved in, I want to be involved in solving the greatest problem in the world is the fact that, man, there's a huge harvest and there are very few laborers. There are very few people contributing to the solution to the greatest problem in all of the world. And I do believe that in this passage, we do find three steps that help us solve this problem. It's not necessarily a, uh, an easy do this, do that, do that, and just everything's taken care of. But I believe if we follow the progression of this passage, yes, there are difficult steps, but I believe if we, uh, as, as a church, if we as Christians, if we, uh, cons if we uh, faithfully together uh, fulfill these steps, we can see something done. We can see this problem begin to be solved. We can see uh, this, uh, this harvest that is truly great reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that there is a three-step process that we can find in the progression of this passage that will help us solve the greatest problem in all the world. Sometimes there are, uh, there are big problems in the world and sometimes the solution is simple. It's just we don't want to take the steps that are necessary because they force us to do things we don't want to do or they force us to get out of our comfort zone. They force us to sacrifice uh, things that we don't want to sacrifice, but we know what the solution is. And I believe this is, this, this is one of those problems where there's a huge problem and, and the, the solution is simple, but we've just got to be willing to take those steps. Number one, the first step and the solution to the greatest problem in all the world is we've got to see what Jesus sees. We've got to see what Jesus sees, and that's where it all starts. And of course, he, he gives this great, uh, this, great, uh, ver this great statement, and later, uh, the verse next, he says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send, a labor, send forth laborers into his harvest. That's the only prayer request that Jesus gives in all of the Bible. But it all starts, this whole conversation starts uh, with what Jesus saw. So we go back to the beginning of verse number 36. It says, But when he saw the multitudes... And of course, we know what happens after that. He weeps, and, uh, or he, he was moved with compassion. Of course, he, he says, man, pray for laborers to, to be sent into the harvest field. But it all starts with what he saw. And we've got to make sure that we are seeing what Jesus is seeing. We've got to see what Jesus sees. If you can put that uh, picture up on the screens, I, I would appreciate that. This is a picture of what is called a stereogram. I don't know if you guys have, have seen these. These are one of the most frustrating things I've ever seen in my life. I hate these things. Uh, but basically, if you look at this in a certain angle, apparently if you're supposed to kind of look through it, I don't know what that means, but apparently you're supposed to be able to see a hidden image. I've never been able to see it. I hope no one else in here can see it because it's going to make me feel like an idiot. But is there anyone that can see a hidden image in there? Don't, don't worry about not Oh, you can? Okay. We'll, we'll talk afterwards. What, what do you see, by the way? You see a cross? Okay. I think it's supposed to be, there might be a cross too, but I think it's supposed to be a, like a buffalo or a bison or something like that uh, hidden in there. And so you're supposed to be able to look at this. And if you look at it from the right angle, you can kind of see a hidden image that's supposed to kind of pop out like in 3D. Uh, and I've never been able to see them. Sometimes I think people are lying when they, can, they say they can see these. Uh, my uncle has one at his house. 
And sometimes the family would go to my uncle's house and, and uh, there are a couple people in my family that say, yeah, I can see a, uh, a whale jumping out of the water and there's a dolphin over there. And, and we're just like, no, it's just a bunch of mess. That's all it is. And sometimes uh, we just get frustrated because they, they say they see all these things and we don't see what they're seeing. And sometimes they get frustrated because we're, we're not seeing what they're seeing. And sometimes they say, I don't understand why I'm seeing one thing. You're seeing something different. I don't understand why you can't see what I see. I wonder, and you can go ahead and put the picture down, I wonder if Jesus sometimes look at, looks at us and says, man, I don't understand why when I look at the mission field, when I look at a country like Nigeria, when I look at a country like China, I believe 1.3 million people, when I look at a country uh, like Thailand, when I look at the multitudes, when I look at your neighbor, when I look at your unsaved coworker, when I look at the, the multitudes of people that don't have the gospel, why do I see something that you don't see? Why do I see a soul that needs to be loved regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their actions? Why do I see someone that I saw worthy of dying for and you see someone that I'm just going to ignore? I wonder if Jesus sometimes looks at us and says, I don't understand why you don't see what I see. Turn to, to Mark, if you will, the book of Mark, chapter number 10. Mark, chapter number 10. trying to remember if that's the Old Testament or the New Testament. I think it's the New. Right after the book of Matthew. Mark chapter 10. If you're having problems uh, finding it, it's right after Mark chapter 9. Right before Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter number 10. That helps me sometimes. Uh, Mark chapter number 10, verse number 46. This is the story of Jesus, and as he's serving in his ministry, he's walking through the town of Jericho, and he sees this, this man sitting on the side of the road. We call him Blind Bartimaeus, and he's sitting, he's, he's sitting there on the side of the road, and, and he's, begging, uh, he's begging and asking uh, help. And this is in verse number 46. It says, and they came to Jericho. They is referring to Jesus and the multitude following him. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on me. And many, his, his multitude, charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And this is what Jesus does. This is Jesus' response when he finds out that blind Bartimaeus is calling out to him. Verse number 49, and Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying, come unto him, be of good comfort, rise, uh, he calleth thee. And so basically what we have is, is there's this man, blind Bartimaeus, is sitting on the side of the road. He hears this, obviously he doesn't see, he hears this big multitude uh, walking past him, walking down the road, and he hears maybe the name Jesus, and he knows that, hey, Jesus is walking by. This is the one person in the world that can actually do something about my problem. And by the way, with all the multitudes of the people in the world who don't have the gospel, there's only one person that can do something about their problem, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that can save a soul, that can redeem uh, someone from their sins, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And there was one person that could have helped him with his problem, and he finds out that Jesus, the only person that can help me, is walking by. So he cries out, Son of David, Jesus, help me, please help me. And what happens, what's sad, is his Jesus' disciples they kind of push him away and say, hey, Jesus is on his way somewhere else. He, he's walking through Jericho. He's trying to get somewhere. Jesus is an important person doing an important task. 
he doesn't have time to help some beggar on the side of the road. Go in and, and, and stop asking, stop speaking, just go back and sit down. It's basically what they're saying. You're a low-ranking member of society. Jesus doesn't have time for you. But he calls out uh, even more. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, uh, I don't have time for you. I've got important things to do and I've got to get there soon. Of course, whatever Jesus was doing was important. But he said, man, there's someone calling out to me. Whatever else I'm doing can wait. I'm going to minister to this person. Because even though they're, they're a low-ranking member of society, even though he's poor, even though uh, people are looking down upon him, even though he's blind, uh, even though uh, the, my disciples, the people following me, are putting him down, I care about him just as much as I care about James and just as much as I care about John and just as much as I care about Peter and just as much as I care about Paul. There's no one more important to me than this person because I love him. And I wonder if there are people all around the world calling out, God, if you're there, if you're alive, uh, I've been uh, worshiping Allah and, and it's not really uh, working. I've been seeing uh, so many people killed in the name of Allah. So God, if you're real, please show me, show me something. Please uh, reveal yourself to me. Maybe there, maybe there are people caught up in this African Pentecostal movement uh, in Nigeria and other countries in, in Africa just saying, oh, Lord, I keep on coming to church. I keep, I keep on trying to get healed. I keep on trying to become prosperous and nothing's working. I keep coming to church and, and I don't feel any different and nothing really helping. I, I don't feel like I'm any closer to getting to heaven than I was uh, several years ago when I first started, started going to church. God, if you're real, uh, will you help me? And if there's people crying out saying, Lord, uh, show yourself to me. Lord, uh, help me because there's only one person that can do something about their problem. I wonder if we look at those people the way that Jesus did. Unfortunately, the disciples did not that day. And if I'm honest, sometimes I don't see people the way that Jesus does. Yes, I as a missionary on my way to Africa oftentimes don't see people the way that Jesus does. And we've got to see what Jesus sees. We've got to see people the way that Jesus sees them. Number two, the, number, the step one, seeing what Jesus sees will lead us to step two, feeling what Jesus feels. Feeling what Jesus feels. Do you feel what he feels? The, uh, the going back to to Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse number 36. But when he, so it starts with what he saw, but when he saw the multitudes, number two, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. He, uh, the word uh, for compassion there is the strongest word for pity. Uh, in the Greek language, it's only in the Bible, it's only used about in re reference to Jesus Christ uh, outside of the parable. So this verse is, is saying that he had the utmost burden for these people. He was so moved. He was, uh, it bothered him so much when he saw these people that were, that had fainted, that were uh, spiritually fainted. And what this word is saying, where it says they, they were faint and they were scattered abroad and sheep having no shepherd. Uh, this word, this word uh, speaks of being worn out. And we, we find another passage uh, in Matthew chapter 11. I won't have you turn, uh, turn there, uh, but another passage that speaks of, of the people and, and, and uh, the, the, the people being worn out. And so uh, what that is referring to is re referring to religion. And so uh, the book of Matthew, we've got to remember, is written to the Jews. And there are things that Matthew is, is specifying uh, in the book that he is writing in the account of the gospel that he is writing. And so what he's referring to is he's saying... Uh, Jesus was so moved with compassion because he, because he saw that the people were so worn out by Jewish law. 
And that's what he is saying uh, in this verse. He's saying people were so worn out. They were so tired. They were faint. They were so worn out and beat down because they were putting all this effort into trying to obey the laws of the Old Testament. They were so worn out by the, the weight of the law. Said, man, they were trying to, trying to do this and trying to do this. 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They're trying to fulfill every single one. And every single day they're trying to, did I, did I break this commandment? Did I break that commandment? Did I break that commandment? Am I righteous enough? Am I doing well enough? Tomorrow I've got to do the same thing. It's all about work. It's all about righteousness. Uh, Self-righteousness It's all about trying to be good enough. And that's what he was saying. He was so, uh, he was so burdened by the people because they were, they were burned out from all the efforts of religion. And really, if you look at religion, religion as a whole is, is all the same. And by the way, I don't believe in religion. I believe in, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't really necessarily even call my belief a religion. I call it a faith. Uh, but really, if you look at religion, religion as a whole can be summed up with an upward arrow. In, in Judaism, what he's referring to, man, I've got to try to stay faithful to all these commandments. I've try, got to try to be good enough so I can work my way up to heaven. In Islam, I've got to stay faithful to all the five pillars. I've got to make sure I do all my prayers in Catholicism. I've got to uh, do my confirmation. I've got to do all of my different sacraments. I've got to stay faithful. I've got to do all these works. And hopefully, at the end of my life, my good works will outweigh my bad works. Hopefully, I'll be uh, considered uh, faithful enough. Hopefully, I'll be able to work my way up. And that's what religion is. And that's what Jesus was so burdened by. They were worn out by these efforts to try to climb the ladder to heaven. They were trying to work their way up. And I'm so glad that the gospel, Christianity, according to this book, is not an upward arrow. It's a downward arrow. We don't have to try to work our way up because Jesus came down. And we don't have to try to obtain salvation. We don't have to try to earn heaven because he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was depressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. The Bible says in uh, Isaiah 50, uh, 52 that his visage, his face was so marred more than any man. His form his body more than the sons of men. He took the price of the sins of the world so that we don't have to try to do this upward arrow. We don't have to try to work our way up and climb this ladder of religion. We don't have to try to work our way into heaven. Everything was accomplished because of the downward arrow, because of the fact that Jesus came down and took the sins of the world and placed it upon himself and, and paid the price that we could never pay. The Bible says that, uh, that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The, the good works that we do are filthy in comparison the righteousness of Christ, but because he placed the sins of the world on himself when he died on that cross, everything was paid for, everything was completed, and that is why uh, one of the last things he said is, it is finished. The work that was required for the payment of the sins of the entire world is finished. And because of that, we can quote our favorite verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
It's the simple gospel, the fact that we're sinners. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell because of our sin. But Jesus Christ uh, paid the price we couldn't pay. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our sins upon himself and, and paid for it. And because of that, we can freely uh, enter into heaven by receiving the free gift and calling upon him saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I place my faith in you as my savior right now. It's the simple gospel. And we have that readily available. We hear messages on John 3:16 all the time, but there's so many people that don't know that verse and that don't know the gospel. They know a lot about religion. And Jesus was so, uh, was so compassionate towards these people because they knew a lot about religion, but they didn't know anything about a relationship. And there are so many people that have been deceived by people with, that take this book and use it for their own advantage. And they don't know the actual gospel. We've got to see what Jesus sees. We've got to feel what Jesus feels. And thirdly, the most important part is we've got to do what Jesus does. And if we just watch a, a missions video and if we just think, man, I, I feel a burden for those people. That, that's, that's good, but that's, that's not going to accomplish anything. If we just see it, if we just feel it, it's not going to do anything to actually help uh, solve the problem. We've got to do what Jesus does. We've got to take what we've seen and what we feel and put it into action. We've got to do what Jesus does. Going back to verse number 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenty, the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Well, when they were doing, when he was saying this, what was the, was the mission that Jesus was on? Go back to verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. By the way, he, he went into the big, the big places and he went into the small, obscure little villages where uh, no one had ever uh, heard of him before teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus was busy getting the gospel out. We've got to do what Jesus does. We've got to be willing to say, Lord, I want to get, be a part of solving this problem, the greatest problem in all of the world. I look at that verse number 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And one of the aspects of how we can be involved in, uh, in missions is to pray. And to pray specifically, Lord, send people into the harvest. The harvest is, is huge and we need more laborers. I'm praying that you will send uh, people uh, into the harvest. And he tells us what to pray in Matthew 9. But if you look at Luke 11, he tells us how to pray. So we turn to Luke 11 real quick. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells us what to pray. In Luke 11, he tells us how to pray. Luke, number, Luke chapter number 11 is a great passage on prayer. This is the passage where we find that the model prayer that Jesus uh, gives to us. And it's interesting that before supplication, before he asks, you know, Lord, give us day to day our daily bread. And that's really the only supplication that he asks for the most part in this passage. Before he gets to all of that, there are other things that he prays before he even asks for his needs to be fulfilled. Verse number two, and he said unto them, uh, when ye pray, say, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And he prefaces his prayer by saying, Lord, before I even ask for my needs, I pray that your will will be done. 
And I pray that your kingdom will come. So he's, what he's saying is, Lord, uh, I, we should pray with the, with the mindset, with the surrender that, Lord, I pray that your will will be done according to as whatever you see fit. I pray for these requests through the filter of your will. And God forbid that we would pray for something and not be willing to let God use us to accomplish that prayer through the means that he sees fit. And sometimes we'll pray for something, but God wants to use us to get that prayer request answered. And God forbid that we would say, Lord, I pray that you will send laborers into the, into the harvest because there are so many people who don't have the gospel, but we would be unwilling to help him get that job done. We need to not just see what Jesus sees. We need to not just feel what Jesus feels. We need to do what Jesus does. We need to be witnesses and we need to be willing to say, Lord, I am willing to help you answer uh, this, this, th this prayer. I heard a quote, it says, if Western churches were to begin sending only checks, their vital commitment to missions would decrease. Our commitment will only be maintained by sending our own sons and daughters out as missionaries and ourselves as well. God didn't send a check. He sent uh, his son. I heard of a missionary who went to uh, the country of China, and this was years ago, and he was uh, living off of a $2,500 salary. And there was a company that said, man, I like this guy's work ethic. I like his skill set. Uh, I want him to come work for my company. So they, they said, hey, uh, if, you come off the, if you come out of China, come work for us. We'll, give you, we'll double your salary. We'll give you $5,000 a year. And he said, no, uh, I'm going to stay here. And they said, okay, what if we give you $7,500 a year? We'll triple your salary. Again, he said, no, I'm going to stay here. And their loss offer, they, they said, man, I'll give you four times your salary. We'll give you $10,000 a year. You'll make four times as much as you are making uh, serving there in China. He said, no, I'm still going to stay with what I'm doing. And they said, okay, I understand that you're committed to what you're doing, but I just want to know, is the salary the sticking point? Is it because we're not giving you enough? And he said, no, the salary is big enough, but the job isn't. And there's nothing bigger that we can do. There's nothing bigger that we can be involved with than missions. And I used to, I'll be honest and I'll say that I used to think that missions wasn't big enough for me. I thought, man, I, I got a good, I got into a good school and, and man, I got good grades and I've got a good intellect. And I had good academics. I got into the second, uh, second ranked public university in the country and man, I'm going to go and do something big with my life. And, and God called me to, to preach and went to Bible college. And even then I wasn't planning on being a missionary. I thought, man, I'm going to start a church and I'm going to be a, a, start a big church here in America. I'm going to be well known. I'm going to go and preach in, in different conferences around the country. And God said later on a few years later, no, I want you to go to some obscure place in Africa where no one's ever going to hear about you. But I, I've realized that there's nothing bigger I can possibly do with my life than give it to him and be involved in helping solve the greatest problem in all the world. No one has ever stepped down from anything to be a missionary. No one has ever stepped down from anything to be involved in missions. One more story, and I'll close with this. There was a story of a, uh, a, a missionary, I believe his name was uh, Henry Morrison. He was coming from Africa. They had spent 30, 40 years, he and his wife in Africa. They were coming back home and they were going to live in, uh, in, in New York, come back home to New, to New York. And, and he and, 
and his wife. They had been uh, provided a, uh, a one-bedroom uh, flat there in New York to, to stay in that their missions board had provided. So they were coming home, and they were on this ship headed home. And uh, as they got closer to the shore, they saw all these signs, and they saw uh, all this, uh, all of these, these welcome signs. There are so many people. There's a huge crowd of people uh, getting ready to welcome someone. And thought, man, maybe people knew that we were coming home. Maybe there are people that are uh, appreciative of our years in Africa. They're excited to welcome us home. And so they got excited. Man, someone uh, has taken notice of us. Someone's excited to welcome us home. So uh, maybe it's someone from the mission board. And they, they got closer to the shore and then they realized that Teddy Roosevelt was also on their ship and that those people were welcoming him home from a hunting trip. And there was no one there to welcome them home. There was no one there to greet them. There was no one there to say, hey, thank you for your life that you gave in Africa. Thank you for the mosquito diseases that you subjected yourself to. Thank you for the lack of electricity that you subjected yourself to. Thank you for the danger you subjected yourself to. Thank you for the life you, you gave trying to reach souls in Africa. Thank you for what you've done. There was no one there to greet them. They went and they were very discouraged. They went home to, to their new apartment and the, the missionary, uh, he got very discouraged and, and his wife tried to help him, tried to encourage him. But after a few days, he, he went and got alone and started praying and he prayed for a few minutes and then he, he ended up coming out and seeing his wife and he had a smile on his face and she said, what, what, what changed your, your attitude? And he said, I, I was praying, the Lord revealed something to me. He said, you haven't made it home yet. And he realized, you know what, I came back home to America but man, when I come home, that's my home. And I'm sure that, you know, he, he's passed away now, but I'm sure when he got there, there was a welcoming committee there. Thank you for coming to my country. You didn't get the balloons, you didn't get the, the signs, you didn't get the, the welcoming party there on the dock, but man, we're here now. Thank you for coming to my country, sharing the gospel. Because of what you did, I'm here. And I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, man, I don't know what my welcoming party is going to be like in heaven. I don't know if there's anyone who's going to come up to me and say, hey, thank you for your involvement. Thank you for what you gave. Thank you for coming to my street and sharing the gospel with me. Thank you for encouraging that missionary. Thank you for praying for that missionary who was going through things that, that money could not solve. Thank you for what you did for the Lord. Because of your service to him, I'm here in heaven too. I wonder what your welcoming party is going to be like, I, uh, I don't know about you, but I want to bring people with me up there. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand. I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, you know what, you've been talking about the greatest problem in all the world, and that problem applies to me. I know there are people in Africa and people in Thailand who have never heard the gospel, but I personally have never received the gospel. I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. And if that's true with you, then I mean, the first thing you got to get settled is the greatest problem in your world, which is the fact that you, you got to realize, man, salvation is free. All you got to do is call upon him and he will save you. He paid the price. He did everything. You don't have to try to work your way into heaven. All you got to do is ask for the free gift that has already been paid for. Secondly, I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, man, I, I want to have a welcoming party when I get to heaven. I want there to be people that come to me and say, hey, because of what you did and what God did through you, I'm here today.